Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Graham Simfendorfer was working at a country bank when armed robbers busted in. When police dramatically arrested the offenders as they exited the bank, Graham knew exactly what he wanted to do. He joined Victoria Police, working the beat across Melbourne before becoming a detective. The former detective sergeant joined the homicide squad before leading teams in the armed crime task force. Graham then worked in Wodonga before retiring after 27 years. He's the recipient of the National Emergency Medal for his work in the Black Saturday bushfires. Graham's the director of his own company, Peregrine Consultancy, being the mayor and deputy mayor of Wodonga and also is the lead investigator in Hunted Australia, the reality TV program. Hi, Graham, and a big warm welcome to The Crime Couch. Thanks so much for having me, Rochelle. Pleasure to be here. Did your career live up to your original motivation, you know, for, for joining the job and witnessing an armed robbery? Did it live up to your expectations? I think it exceeded expectations, to be fair. I never thought I'd reach the rank of sergeant, let alone detective sergeant. So to, to reach that and run my own team of investigators is really a, a dream come true when I look back on it. When you think about it as a younger guy, what appealed to you then when you saw that dramatic arrest? I think it's that good versus evil aspect of the, the good old cops and robbers. So you're not going to get a, a more perfect analogy than, than cops and robbers and then to witness it firsthand. And listening to you say that back then around t- takes me back time and place. I still remember exactly the feelings and you know the, the smells and all those things that come back with that sort of trauma, I guess, that you remember. But it, it actually excited me. And that's where I thought, you know what, I, I stayed pretty calm during that whole event. And I went, I might have a, a, an actual knack for, for this. So, And then here we are 27 years later and done, done a fair bit of um, robbery investigations myself. And the interesting thing is, like some people would be terrorised by that event, but you were inspired. Yeah, I, I was inspired to do what the, the police were doing and just the whole problem solving of what it was in the investigation. So when I had an insight to them um, coming in and, and I think they believed we were going to be hit on that particular day as a target. So they had to plan and they had to manage everything and all that risk and, and that I was just calm enough to, to watch them do their thing and I want to do that was the feeling. So, yeah. Graham, did you choose becoming a detective or do you think it chose you? Oh, that's a great question. I think it chose me because initially when I joined the police, I was like a lot of young blokes back then. I was 19 or so and a lot of young fellas through the academy, everything was was towards the tactical side of things. So I want to join the SOG or the Special Operations Group, like a lot a lot of my mates did that went through the academy. That didn't work out. I had my first firstborn, Mia, who's now almost 22, so, yeah, I'm, I'm that old. When she was born, that was the last I trained for the Special Operations Group. And then it just, yeah, I think investigations found me. You joined uh, the Homicide Squad in 2005. That's a big day for a lot of people, ever getting anywhere near that. Can you describe that day and how you felt when you walked in? Yeah, uh, I was shitting myself, to be honest. I had I did done my selection over the phone with Charlie Vizina. He rang me out of the blue when I was working at Glen Waverley. 
and pretty much interview over the phone and on the spot. And it was great. So I was shitting myself alone just talking to Charlie. But Was that normal that you get an interview over the phone? Isn't it normally a panel? Uh, back then, no. I don't, I don't think so, no. Back then, yeah, you're, you're almost pretty much tapped on the shoulder or, you know, you, you're applied and, and they would do their their due diligence around who you were and what made you tick and, and that was pretty much an interview about your personality and your skill sets and a few questions so and how you think on the feet because I wasn't expecting the call it wasn't a we're going to have a phone call at one o'clock it was just bang here's Charlie Bazina why do you want to join the homicide squad and bang away we went so obviously did something right uh, went in on temps for there as a trial and yeah my first day my crew that I was on crew three I was on a day off so I was there on my own trying to yeah, you know, and just everything was just humming. Like there was no, there was no introduction. It was pretty much meet the receptionist. There's the coffee. That's where you're gonna sit, sort yourself out for the day, and you'll meet your crew the next day. And took a car home for the night that night, which I thought was pretty cool. Thinking, oh, it's all right. I'm on call here at Homicide. How good's this? And then yeah, and then as as it works out, we got a call out that next morning to my first murder, and away it went. They always say, Graham, you never forget your first murder. Is that right? Yeah, that one in particular, that was in Ascot Vale. We got called out to two gentlemen living together with some uh, mental health issues, unfortunately, and one took the other's life. Pretty, pretty violent, pretty messy scene. And even, even I asked the sergeant at the time, I said, this, is, this can't be, this isn't normal, is it? And he's like, no, nah, this one's a bit, bit different. So, yeah, baptism of fire. And again, rocking up to the scene first and the... Regional detectives were there and, and they were waiting for homicide to turn up, but that's day one for me. So I was just really nervous and just trying to do the best I can. But it didn't take long to settle in to the to the crew mentality and, and the professionalism that surrounds the homicide squad to just fall in step with that and, and just learnt so much for that whole time I was there. It's interesting, isn't it? Because every member that I speak to has always, like often says, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be in the homicide squad. Deserved reputation, you think? Yeah, my experience, most definitely. And, and again, probably beyond, I just I soaked it all up and I just would go and call for any crew that I could just to get the experience and learn how other senior sergeants did their business. And we, we're obviously talking at the time of those that know Victoria, the, the, you know, the real big names of Victorian homicide. So I just went on call with each of those crews and just saw how they all worked and how the sergeants worked and senior sergeants worked and just soaked it all up. But yeah, definitely, definitely the reputation, that's for sure. And, and it stuck with me for the rest of my career. That was the, that was the benchmark. And I think also what a lot of members talk about is the professionalism of the briefs and the attention to detail and how that had to go up a next level in comparison to working as a regional or, or a metropolitan D. Yeah, exactly. No stone unturned. Uh, chase every rabbit down every hole. And it, if it did go off on that different tangent, you just had to chase it until you could put that to bed. And like we know, it's not, not just who you, you're proving did it, it, who didn't do it. So knocking everyone out of that investigation as well. So... The meticulous nature of what the homicide work was, I just thrived on, loved it, yeah, and that put me in good stead to run my own team later later in divisional work, and we know the, the regional works is unfortunately a lot more volume and a lot more pressure and everything has to be yesterday, so you've really got to navigate that pretty carefully because you, you haven't got the time to chase everything down every burrow uh, in that regional work, but uh, working as, as a team is, is always, um, I've found, the best way to achieve your goals. Was there any case in particular, Graham, when you're in the homies that stuck with you and why? Yeah, I think the one that stuck with me the most, obviously the first one, as you said, is always there. I think there was one we got called out to in Lynbrook, I'm pretty sure um, it was, and a, and a young Fijian girl was 
uh, killed by her Indo-Fijian husband. But it was a, a stage scene that he'd he'd sort of suggested that she'd wanted off and had no idea how she died. And you know, at the end of the story ended up being he's killed her, he's punched her in the head, and she's cracked her head on the footpath as she's fallen backwards. Um, so she's unconscious but not deceased. And he's taken her down to a nearby creek to thinking that he had killed her, but he actually hadn't. If he'd just given her first aid, she'd probably still be alive. So it's a very tragic story. But I, I had to travel to Fiji and interview the family. As it turns out, it was a they had actually married in Fiji, but in secret, none of the family here in Australia knew that they were married. It was He had just told his family it was a friend that had moved out from Fiji. And then she wanted to end the relationship, and that's what, what happened. So, you know, domestic violence at its worst when it ends up in the death of, of the woman. So I've become quite connected to the family, as you do uh, in those matters. And I think most homicide investigators do. You feel that connection. But this was especially different because I travelled over to Fiji and saw how tough that family was doing it in Fiji. And I'm talking like, you know, tin shed, very poor, third world type sort of setup. And then she wanted a better life by coming to Australia and ended in tragedy. So I felt connected to that family and, and still do to this day in some regards with social media and all the rest and the anniversaries of deaths and birthdays and still reach out to them. And you actually remind me now, I actually went to her father because I said they were very poor. Her father came out to Australia. He wanted to see where, where his daughter had passed and, and have a look at the scene. So and he'd, they saved up all their money so he could come out. And I said I could meet him on that whatever the day it was and, and it was... I sort of remember now it had to be this one particular day but that just happened to be my wedding day so on the morning of the wedding my groomsmen which are all detectives as well of course uh, we're giving this poor father a scene of where his daughter passed but you know that's the level of connection that we had for that family and yeah still to this day have it so that's that's probably the one that stayed with me the most and you know it's just a tragic story like many of the domestic violence murders we see it's extraordinary story tragic and yeah once again the connections like a number of former homicide detectives I've interviewed and they also speak of that liaison and that once you're sort of in that family circle you you keep in contact with those people on the anniversaries of the murder or the death the passing you know it's a pretty inextricable link isn't it yeah it is and I think for the family it's you know, you're the link to, to their loved one as well. So, you know, they know you've been with them when, when they've been deceased. They, you've been with uh, the scene and the whole story and you've, I guess, put the pieces of the puzzle together from as to the why and the how and made that person accountable for their actions. So, you know, look at it from the family's point of view, of course, there's that connection. So I've respected that over the years and also mindful I don't want to trigger some families because, you know, I've been to a fair, fair few SIDS deaths as well and, and particularly in a regional town where you go to those. I am the trigger to that trauma. So you really, sometimes you back away. But it's always probably guided, in my experience, from how the family feels and what's best for the family. And in this case, with the Fijian family, it's stay in contact with them. And they'd cling to you for the answers, of course. Yeah. You were then running, Graham, the Armed Crime Task Force. What skills are required to run those teams, sometimes quite large teams? Yeah, it was very different to the homicide work. Homicide, meticulous, you probably had a chance to plan your investigations and, and armed robbery was just so dynamic. Um, I did have a bit of experience leading into that time at the Armed Crime Task Force with the Mbona Task Forces that were out in the regions at the time. So working on the lower level armed robberies, the street robberies that those Mbona Task Forces were working on and had a great leadership there. Again, a guy by the name of Tony Carr, one of the best sergeants I'd ever worked with and, and Kari was, again, expected almost that. Unbeknownst to me, the homicide culture is what he had at Mbona. Um, so when I did go into armed crime, 
uh, eventually and run a team there, it was just the dynamic nature and having to think on your feet and problem solve really quickly because of so much risk. And we know, you know, tragically, there's there's some of those police murders that are linked to um, robbery investigations. I mean, you know, the Silk Miller tie air type stuff um, has been linked to some of those armed robbery crews that were running around in those days. So the risks were real. If you got it wrong, your colleagues might get hurt or the public could get hurt. And these guys, you know, the, the crooks are running around with loaded firearms and we're having to use the SOG to, to take them out. So real high risk stakes. Planning had to be on the spot. And I guess up managing the senior management of, of, of Vic Polar time as well around how you're going to mitigate that risk and convince them that your plan is safe and the community is safe and that you're you could get enough to actually get a conviction because the challenge I found really quickly there was if you arrested the offenders before they did the armed robbery, then you might only get them for you know, the possessions of the articles they had. You need to have a bit, well, I think the, the legislation at the time was more than mere preparation for the armed robbery. You almost had to get them as about to go in the door type thing and you know, we're talking seconds there. So that's almost near impossible and I guess the flip side is you can't let them commit the armed robbery because if something goes wrong or letting everyone that's victims of that armed robbery face that trauma so it's a real fine balance and and a probably exciting it was it was really thrilling but long, long like homicide really long days but uh, i think the, the difference was the the dynamic nature of armed robbery investigations Graham, you then moved from the Armed Crime Task Force and you moved up to the country. How does crime differ in a rural area? Yeah, that was a real culture shock. I, I did go to uniform to start with and, and I think I did about three or four months as a sergeant at Wodonga and there was a moment there where I was herding some sheep off the main road in Wodonga and it's like that moment of you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, here I am rounding up sheep. I'm like, if the boys at home are so I could see me now. It, it's different up there in, in the fact that you know your town and it took some time to, to develop that relationship with you know, your informants and, and your people that you'd you know, come into your custody and building trust and relationship and respect. It's true community policing when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, since retirement, I've had a fair few people I've put in jail reach out and you, know, you always respected me was their message and thank you for everything you did. And I put these people in jail. And then, then when I ran for the local council, they actually told me they voted for me. So I must have done something right, which is kind of weird. But, yeah, knowing your community. And, and, and an example, I think, there was, I think we had an armed robbery on a KFC. And we knew that the person didn't put, wear a balaclava or put anything over their face. So we're like, well, this can't be a local because otherwise they'd want to hide their face. So we knew it had to be an out-of-towner. And we just reached out to a few local contacts. And, like, oh, yeah, there's some new people staying at the motel down this way. And we literally knocked on the door and there they were counting the cash about 20 minutes after the armed robbery and they were like Jesus you guys are, are good and I'm like yeah don't don't commit armed robberies in Wodonga we'll catch you but that's about knowing your community. You were awarded uh, two departmental commendations for investigations when you were officer in charge of Wodonga can you give us a sum up of those investigations? Well, you're testing me now you've done good research I'll have to think what they were. You probably had to do a number, and once again, you just get given a departmental commendation. But it's a it's a big deal. How did that make you feel getting getting those commendations? Yeah, at the time, and and I had this recently. So I was invited back to the Crime Command recently for a commendation for Operation Tideland, which is the old Operation Road Gang job from '94. Those at a Victoria would know about the Armagar truck in '94 that got hit. So getting invited back once you're out 
it meant so much more. And I was even talking to some of the, the crew there that, that got the same commendation. We got it collectively, a few of us, and just said, Lies, look, really, really take this in because once you're out, it means so much more. So for, for so many years, those commendations like sat on the desk or on a pin board or, or somewhere but now they're, they're really proudly displayed in my office at home and I do look at them but yeah it's you're right you, you, you just you're on the treadmill is why I found it and yet you get a get accommodation thank you very much but you know we, you know it's a team effort uh, mm. but but a lot of them were just uh, doing what we do normally and but it is nice to be recognized but it means so much more now that 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 career's passed. Graham how does a hard-nosed gritty detective become the mayor of Wodonga and and also the deputy mayor of Wodonga this is a big a big step yeah COVID I think made me think what you know what can I do is there anything what, what's next what's the next challenge and thankfully probably COVID uh, I'm, I'm not one to sort of go and stand in the local shopping centre and hand out flyers or you know the political kiss babies I just I thought here's an opportunity to maybe stand for council and, and bring a different set of thinking or a different mindset to local government and not knowing a lot of politics. I wasn't really interested growing up, but I thought local government, let's have a crack and, and see what happens and was elected quite well, actually. I got some good votes in town. I was notified, I was actually at a drug crop out in the hills and the local paper rang me and said, you've been elected and you know, did you know? And I'm like, no, I'm kind of a bit busy right now. But uh, it was it was good to hit, good to do. And then uh, in the second year of my term, yeah, I was fortunate enough to do the deputy mayor role for a year, which again, really eye opening in local government. You know, dealing with Canberra and, and Spring Street, Melbourne, and and supporting the mayor through COVID with border closures up on the border. That was that was really intense because we're having those on the Albury side of New South in New South Wales had no restrictions for COVID and yet all of us in Victoria were locked down for so long and trying to support your community keep them positive and the businesses that were suffering like everyone and everywhere at that time it, it really taught me a lot around leadership in the community and, and how much the community did rely on those sort of roles to to step up. I'd imagine you'd, you'd also be looking at I mean that's what Crime Command has to deal with particularly the upper echelon they've got to deal with state government every day I mean you're dealing in local government what did it teach you about that? Yeah uh, it taught me a lot me a lot about myself and how I think and and how other people think and I guess that that empathy role because everyone's different and everyone's experience you know molds who they are and how they think and what their view is yeah taught me a lot about politics I thought there wouldn't be as much politics in local government but there is unfortunately but how how to influence uh, thinking how to influence a room how to get your point across through questions um, and, and I guess play the politics to a degree so I've had to learn a lot about that but it probably taught me a lot about myself um, and then particularly being mayor for a, a couple of months that was more a Stephen Bradbury moment than anything else so I didn't stand for election but we had a bit of a split in the in the group and it wasn't a, an odd number to elect a mayor so for the for the time being it had to be the deputy mayor step up and I think the look on my face when I was told you're going to be mayor, I thought you're fucking kidding me, aren't you? But um, anyway, yeah, did it did it for three months or three three or four months and really enjoyed it. But it's I know it's not for me. Uh, I won't I won't be mayor again. And but but learnt so much around the whole thing and, and got a closer look into the politics of of that level of being mayor and and what the community wants, which is even more. The phone would not stop. And the day after, actually, I was no longer mayor. It just stopped. Just overnight, it just stopped. It was amazing. So, yeah, it taught me a lot about myself and a lot about, I guess, that whole institution of local government that's that's a bit slower. Policing, we're used to, you know, get your information in, make a decision, go with it, and then probably going back to that dynamic world of armed robbery to then local government, just the, the brakes are on and 
that the machines really slow to turn. So that, that's probably the most frustrating thing I've found over my whole uh, local government career. So, Graham, you also set up your own company, Peregrine Consultancy. What did you get from working as a cop that helped you in, you know, the commercial sector and the business space? Yeah, I generally answer that with its relationships. And we talk about that in policing. It's, you know, knowing your people, whether it's your victim, your offenders, your witnesses, and managing all that and then managing the court process. It's, it was easily transferable for me across to the private sector. And it doesn't matter who you're dealing with, whether it's the CEO or the board of directors or a client, it's relationships and, and empathy is probably the biggest one for that. But I guess once you can meet face-to-face with someone and get in front of front of them and talk them through, you know, your, your, I guess your pitch or what it is you're trying to consult on, uh, the trust comes and I guess, you know, a little bit of vulnerability goes a long way too and they get to know you. So I think that really has helped me along the way. You've also got a Guernsey. I mean, every time I turn around, you're doing something else. You've got... You've got a Guernsey with the reality TV show, Hunted Australia. Now, I spoke with Ashy extensively about this. Mm. What has that experience been like? Because most detectives would have no idea what's involved in reality TV. Yeah, that was a baptism of fire. That was a bit of a, you know, fall, falling into it. A friend of mine referred me to, to the producers that were setting it up a few years back now. And initially it was no, no way, not for me. I'm happy to slip into retirement and just enjoy my time in the bush and, and raise my kids um, and I, I promised him I'd at least give him a call and I think three or four interviews later I was actually interviewed for Ashy's job for Ken Ashworth's job as the referee because there's a referee between the contestants and the headquarters as you probably explained I interviewed for that role and I thought that's pretty good that's not on camera that's you know using my knowledge of policy procedure and the law to make sure that it's fair that's good and then um, the producer Nat eventually convinced me oh no how about you just just maybe just do a bit of a piece to camera for being on air. And I'm like, oh, all right, whatever. And here we are two seasons later and in front of the camera. It's um, an incredible experience. It is the real deal. Like, we, we run it as if it's we're chasing the real escapees or fugitives, even though they're just contestants. But it's it's serious game to us, so we get really frustrated. And if you've seen it, I do swear a bit too much, unfortunately, but I get invested. Uh, but that's what we, we said we'd do. We'd, we'd be the real deal and we'd just treat it as if it was a normal investigation. But it's... It's really intense with, um, I think, season one, we had 18 fugitives on the run. Season two, we had 20. So 20 at once is just an absolute shit show. It's a nightmare. But we just have to get it done and, and the team comes together. So, yeah, I look around the room and I look at a few of the other people that are in there, you know, the best intel that England has had in, in Ben Owen. Uh, Reese is their former Special Forces soldier of 20-plus years and all the stories he's told me. Uh, the chief in his time with the AFP and all the bombings that he's done. Sorry, not the bombings he's done, the ones he investigated, of course. I look around the room and go, I'm just this detective from Wodonga. But look, roll with it, and I've had a ball and just continue to have a ball. It's a great show. It's highly entertaining. Yeah, I, I think it deserves the rating that it's getting. You know, how do you view Victoria Police today? Yeah, a lot of, lot of fond memories. I'm very proud of my time. I did have a conversation with a very senior police officer just recently around you know the transition into the media and and some of that can be a little bit negative from from the organization I just was reassuring going I've, I've you know my career's been amazing I've really looked back on it with fond memories and very proud now that it's finished would I have liked to stay longer would have perhaps but just wasn't to be I had to call time on that career and I guess I was reassuring this this officer that you know I've got nothing but nice things to say about Vic Pole and very proud and even though the last maybe a year or two wasn't wasn't the best it doesn't define the whole 
27. So I'm just rest assured I've only got positive things to say and I'd recommend it as a career to anyone that wants to do it. But you've got to be in it for the right reasons because if you're, you're only in it to wear the blue or take a good paycheck, you're, you're going to get hurt probably mentally. There's a lot to deal with. But if you want to do good and you want to you know, protect people and do right things by the community, it's a great career. So finally, um, Graham, what's next to you? Oh, goodness, what's next? I don't know, to be honest. I think I've got so many little doors open. I'm just waiting for a few of them to, to go ajar. I'm writing my own autobiography at the moment, which is a bit of a learning curve as well. So maybe keep an eye out for that. And then hopefully season 300, if we're lucky enough. Well, it's been a delight sitting with you today on the Crime Couch. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch. Mm-hmm.